This is The Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature. Uh, hello everyone and uh, welcome to The Hindu Books uh, podcast. I have uh, with me here today Samrat Chaudhary who's uh, out with a new book uh, called Northeast India: A Political History. Uh, hi Samrat, welcome. Hi Abdus, thanks. So we'll just uh, start off with a basic uh, question about how difficult uh, is it to write the political history of a region when most uh, chronicles barring a few exceptions uh, such as the Ahom Buranjis for instance uh, and the Manipuri Royal Chronicles the rest are all of recent vintage. Yeah so of course so basically uh, there were only those few princely states or kingdoms in the in the valleys which had uh, written histories going back a long way other than that in the hills there were a lot of cultures which were oral cultures until uh, the arrival of the colonial british and uh, so therefore the work is indeed difficult because one can rely on the on the colonial records to, to sort of uh, get the story from the start of say the late 1800s or thereabouts no certainly not before the uh, not much before the treaty of yandabo <laughs> following the anglo burmese war of 1826 that's about as as far back as it goes yes so so basically one uh, has to rely uh, for those places where there is not a lot of uh, other material in the form of uh, say archaeological material or royal chronicles uh, the, the reliance on oral oral histories then a yeah. lot yeah so it's it's the colonial record and the oral history uh, i'll just cut to the present because uh, i found uh, that your chapter on manipur ends on a rather prescient note uh, it reads uh, manipur remains suspended in an uneasy peace uh, prone mm-hmm. to descending into fraternal conflict just as it was a thousand years ago in the days when clan warred against clan and tribe against tribe yes. uh, given the current uh, uh, state of things uh, in the state right now is there a viable resolution roadmap uh, from the current abyss well my chapter was written yeah, long before any of this happened yes of course and uh, so even then one could sense that uh, larger issues were not resolved and those larger issues uh, remain unresolved and uh, <laughs> where we are now they have they were you know they were unresolved but they were sort of uh, dormant and now some of some of those issues have become active issues yeah and uh, so basically uh, the unresolved issues relate to claims uh, or uh, demands for uh, some kind of autonomy or sometimes uh, an independent state uh, or country and uh, so you know those issues are not resolved and now they are right at the heart of what is happening and uh, i don't know, see how because the different communities are very strongly uh, for or against you know the, the whole issue of separate administration yeah and uh, it is something which has happened before as well uh, it became an issue earlier also and it has been uh, an issue which uh, has come uh, to some extent it, it has uh, held up the uh, 
conclusion of the naga peace talks so uh, so now we have this situation where the same issue is now of course at the forefront of the demand uh, among the cookies so i don't see how the you know the positions of the maytes and of the uh, cookies or for that matter even the position of the maytes vis-a-vis the cookies and the nagas because it's a three way yes uh, territorial issue yeah. i don't see how it can be resolved without some amount of flexibility and uh, creative problem solving i also uh, found this uh, bit about uh, the transition from british rule to uh, indian rule of course uh, and and the conversations that went on with the northeastern states uh, around that time Uh, so the Nehruvian state uh, actually dangled less carrot and more stick uh, to bring Nagaland and Manipur uh, into uh, India's fold after independence. Uh, do you see the uh, takeover as fair, or were the circumstances built into the logic of purifying the country at that time? Well, that's a tough and a very interesting question. Um, well, I mean, we have to acknowledge that the basic task of nation building, you know, building building a country out of 562 or princely states plus british india or or the part of british india that remained with uh, the current state of india yeah now that task was a herculean effort and of course it uh, it involved a lot of uh, use of force in several places and uh, of which of various parts of northeast india were definitely uh, among the places where force was used and uh, while elsewhere for example even you know there was police action in hyderabad, hyderabad yes so uh, but in the case of northeast it was different <laughs> right from the beginning partly owing to geographical uh, position and uh, it was uh, it, it <coughs> both carrot and stick was used but uh, it was done uh, i mean the real fighting happened then what happened subsequently is much milder in comparison the real battles for independence were fought by those communities then because then at that time the situation was still fluid and yeah. there was still a, a sort of hopes that uh, you know they they had genuine hopes that they could actually get their own countries yeah now i don't think that is the situation anymore so yeah. now it is more a case of uh, uh sort of political uh benefits that one can get within the indian union so i think the issues are largely settled the other uh, aspect which you obviously uh, deal with uh, not at length i think it probably also lends itself to a separate book altogether is the rapid uh, adoption of christianity in several of the northeastern states uh, the process began only around the 1840s and i suppose within a 100 years uh, most of these uh, states uh, barring assam uh, and and tripura uh, are predominantly christian uh, what explains the almost en masse embrace of the distinctive uh, new faith in those parts yeah that's also an interesting and difficult question so uh, i don't know how you know to what one would ascribe the quick the quick uh, sort of pick up of christianity in some of the hills uh i think the chapter on mizoram offers some clues because uh, this was one of the places where christianity really made rapid progress okay. and uh, so one of the 
एडमिनिस्ट्रेटर्स कोलोनियल एडमिनिस्ट्रेटर्स हुईनेस दिस होल प्रोसेस हैज लेफ्ट सम रेकॉर्ड्स विच 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 गिव अस एन इंडिकेशन ऑफ वॉट इज हैपनिंग now the british colonial administration there were a lot of administrators who were actually against the entry of the mission and that was the situation right from the beginning yeah and uh, so this person uh, he basically uh, wrote a rather critical account of the church and its activities the odd thing was that the church actually the missionaries went in as agents of change and the british uh, colonial administration was the force of continuity in that society because they wanted to rule through the existing chiefs or yes. king, princess or kings or whatever so yes. they were on the side of the existing social order yeah. so in the case of the of the rushai hills they one they supported the chiefs whereas the missionaries brought in education and then people started getting jobs and so even the economy changed and the situation changed and uh, so uh, we find that basically this administrator is writing about how uh, the church became a pathway to uh, basically to development and progress for the individual and so so because there were few other opportunities it, it just became something that uh, was attractive in more than one it it brought immediate uh, material benefits yeah. Uh, the other aspect uh, that you also deal with at you know uh, several points across chapters is slavery. Uh, the East India Company abolished uh, slavery in its territories in 1843, uh, but it remained the sticking point with several of the frontier territories. Uh, uh, you mentioned somewhere that uh, tribal chieftains used to sell slaves uh, to agents from Bengal. Uh, we of course know about uh, uh, head hunting the prevalence of it uh, among several tribes in the northeast but how thriving was the sleep practice at that time uh so again i mean one what i have done is i have looked at the you know some of the colonial accounts <laughs> where they mention emancipating slaves from different areas and uh, you you know one gets a sense of the numbers uh There, there were, by the standards of the you know population of those places, there were fairly substantial numbers. Yeah. Uh, so slavery uh, it did exist uh, in in several of the tribal societies, and in fact, if you read Berrier Elwin writing about uh, his philosophy for Nepal, yeah, when it after independence of India, uh, this was in 1950 something, yeah. if I recall correctly. Yeah. and uh, he is still writing about emancipating somebody from slavery when he goes to what is now arunachal pradesh at that time you know post independence yeah. so it it existed the character of the slavery the way it was practiced was perhaps different from what it was in the west or in other societies but it did exist and uh, uh, it fairly it was fairly widespread and uh, there was also a trade which is what you mentioned about uh, you know the people selling selling slaves yeah. so for example i found somewhere mention of it, it existed there was a trade which went on from the arakan coast and uh, it involved the arakanis and portuguese pirates and so it, uh, and perhaps also the dutch so basically it was not restricted to uh, 
the local trade. It, it was actually part of a larger international network. Right. And uh, so there is mention of, uh, for example, uh, the exchange rate that you could, uh, or, you know, the people who were involved in this trade could get a gun of a certain manufacturer uh, in exchange for, uh, sorry, two guns of a certain manufacturer in exchange for one, one person. Four, for four and a half feet tall. Right. So they specify the kind of gun you get for the kind of slave you get. Right. right. Yeah. And where were these uh, slaves uh, hyped up and they were sent off uh, to different parts of the globe or it's just in that local area? Like present-day Burma and you know the uh, and and Bengal. I'm I'm not sure of that. I don't know about that. But uh, from Chita, from uh, from the Arakan coast, the trade was across the oceans. So they were definitely going beyond the local region. Yeah. In the last chapter, uh, you say that the political integration of northeast. Uh, uh, of the northeast into India, uh, that started obviously with the 1826 Treaty of Yandapu, is now substantially complete, uh, not only administratively but mentally. Yeah. Uh, but can an ironclad imagining of India strike root uh, in the liminal borderlands of South Asia and Southeast Asia? I don't know, uh, because when one sees the you know the articulation of uh, of what people are talking about now. One doesn't see so many demands for independence. In fact, it has, it's quite striking that now even with everything that is happening in Manipur, yeah. uh, none of the groups has actually said anything against the central government. They're actually appealing to the central government yeah. to... Yeah. 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 So, so, for example, the Puti uh, party, which has finally withdrawn, belatedly withdrawn support from Biren Singh's government, yeah. has not gone out of the NDA. So it is it is really strange that uh, even with so much happening, the uh, in the, the the whole uh, rhetoric is sort of to stick within India and to you know to wave the Indian flag to to say that we are Indian. Yeah. So I think uh, the mental integration does seem to have happened. But then again, the in the historical frame, these uh, you know this is a fairly recent process. And now, if the uh, if if the peace in the entire wider region comes unstuck, then it becomes hard to predict where things will go because the dreams of you know of Nagaland still exist. The dreams of a Kuti country, Kuti yes. country of their own, integrating all the all the Kuti Mizozo inhabited areas has been around and is still around. Yeah. So those dreams have not died. Uh, people have made their peace. But now if that peace does not exist anymore, then it is hard to predict whether or if in what circumstances those dreams might resurrect themselves. So was it like, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, fulfillment, uh, how would you read this with something which is uh, much more experiential like a travel? No, they're different different joys. Yeah. There's a joy to this and a joy to that and they're just very different. And uh, this one, I mean, I wish I had more time to do it. In the end, as with all deadlines, the deadline came and passed and came and passed again right. and in the end I just had to rush through and somehow right. turn it in. Right. But <laughs> it is a work that uh, actually uh, one could spend a lifetime doing because basically 
uh, each of the states has its own history and each community in each state has its own history and so the amount of research that could be done is potentially endless. So what is uh, uh, the model that you have in mind? Did you uh, aim at this book uh, primarily as like say a northeast version of uh, A.L. Basham's uh, The Wonder That Is India or Rumila Tapa's book on ancient India? I didn't have any model in mind. I just thought that uh, it would be useful to write something which is uh, simple, readable, introductory, uh, popular history of Northeast India, bringing in all the states of the region. And as I went into it, I became aware that there's no way to tie it all together. So one would have to write each chapter separately, each, yes. each state as a separate chapter. And uh, so I guess that's how I learned about it. So what's up next now that uh, this book is uh, uh, done? I think I need, I need a break now. I'm going to give myself a break from writing and uh, uh, take, basically see where life leads next. I have absolutely no clue what I'm going to do next. So you don't have another book lined up right away? No, no. I don't have any other book lined up and uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do or where I'm going to be, even in which country I'm going to be. So I have absolutely no clue at the moment yeah. what comes next. Congratulations on uh, this new book. And uh, I think it's uh, going to be essential reading for anyone who's uh, interested in the Northeast uh, as a region like the Indian Sukkot. Thank you so thanks. much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Abdus. Thank you for listening to The Hindu on Books. You can now find The Hindu's podcasts such as In Focus and Parley on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at SOCMED4, S-O-C-M-E-D-4 at the rate thehindu.co.in. 